Amen. Hey, you can go ahead and grab a seat. You're going to see up on the screen uh, behind me, there are multiple ways to give here at South Creek. You can give here in person as they are passing the bags. You can text any dollar amount to the number on the screen, um, or you can uh, go to our website. You can follow the QR code. You can be hip, right? Um, or uh, you can just go to our website, southcreek.church, and there there is an online giving um, area that is safe and secure. And you can either give one time or set up a recurring gift. But uh, thank you so much for uh, your generosity. One of, one of the cool things uh, that I oftentimes think about is um, just the joy of the fact that um, God's people are generous and good and what it means. I think about last week as we celebrated uh, the four boys who got baptized last week and we just celebrate the life change. I think about um, seeing uh, the cars on Monday and Wednesday night here for uh, recovery ministry. I think about all the kiddos that I see uh, running around in this place, and I think about the stories. I got to sit with a lot of people this week and hear about their lives, and, and some going through really awesome things and some going through really tough things. And I, I think about just the reality that um, so much of the ministry that happens here is because of people's generosity towards it. So thank you, thank you so much for partnering with us. Hey, at this time, uh, I'm going to invite you, if you are a third or fifth, third through fifth grader who's still in the room wants to go to South Creek Kids, you can head that way and whew, you know the way. So this is your moment to head on out, have fun. Tell everyone I said hi, okay? And if there's snacks, if you could come back and bring, bring some from me, I'd really appreciate that. I will. I was like, is the door locked? I don't think there's a lock there. Well, this morning is great to be last week. Uh, if you weren't here, we had an awesome outdoor worship service, and it was so much fun. So many people uh, helped make that possible, and it's one of those kind of fun annual things we do. And uh, again, what a joy it was celebrating uh, the baptisms that happened that day. And uh, again, one of the cool things I love is just our church's desire to really invest in the lives of the next generation. You know, it's back to school time. Most, most people are, are maybe, I don't know, if you're a parent like me, you're not really sure if you're back in the groove yet, but you're kind of getting there. Uh, but one of the fun things about um, back to school time for me, at least with my boys, I have a first grader and a um, four-year-old, and my four-year-old just started a new daycare. And uh, one of the fun things is trying to pull teeth, um, basically, to get any information like, how was your day? Who are you talking to? Who are you hanging out with? Um, any parents feel this way? I've heard it doesn't get better, which is um, a little bit sad. Uh, but in particular, one of the things I am always trying to find out is like, hey, have you made any friends? Yes. What's their names? I don't know. H have you thought about asking? I guess. And I, I remember last year when my son Gideon went off to kindergarten, it, it took a few weeks to finally remember like, well, I think it started with an M. Okay, well, can I guess these names? Let me th throw out all of these. And you know, we finally figured out. And so we, we've had this conversation um, with our boys about how um, it is such a gift to remember and say someone's name, right? Like there's something awesome, except for maybe when the tone is off and you're in trouble. But when someone actually says your name, they remember your name. When you don't get the, hey, buddy, hey, sister, what's up? When they actually like remember and say your name. By the way, I'm totally going to call someone buddy in, in the lobby afterwards. And I promise I probably do remember your name, but maybe you're just my buddy. Um, but we've tried to talk to him about the fact that like every person has a name and there is something about when we say someone's name that helps like 
emphasize this idea of value and love in that person. That's one of the things that Jesus does for us, and so we want to do it back towards others. Names are interesting uh, about how um, there are moments in our lives where sometimes when our name isn't said or spoken or written, we feel a bit of pain. Some of you know this story, but some of you don't. So when I was uh, in middle school, I was heading off to uh, a Christian summer camp. I am the youngest of three boys, and uh, my dad is a pastor. And so uh, we're, we're heading off to, I'm heading off to church camp. And it's one of those where my parents are just going to leave me there with kids that are uh, my age and college students who, by the way, have no idea what they're doing, right? And we're hoping that they're going to keep us alive. It's all good. Um, and so they're driving me there, and, and they don't know. You know, this is the middle school years where you're like, you are wrestling a lot with like, how do I look? Like, I, I remember I was talking with someone the other day about this, this weird thing where I, I remember when all my guy friends started getting armpit hair, and I stopped wearing cut sleeve shirts because I was really insecure about it. And then as soon as I got one, I was like, let's go, baby, we're back. <laughs> but I was at that age where, like, we're just so insecure, and we're like looking for anyone to look at us and tell us like we matter and we're special, and even though our voice is going, ah, like we still sound cool. And my, my parents, like they know this, but they don't know this. And my parents were such good and kind, loving parents who love Jesus, but, but there's this interaction that happens in the car that they would have had no idea um, was really reading the mail of my life of what was going on in my life, and in particular, lies that I was believing about myself. You see, we're driving in the car, and my parents hand back to me, they say, we got you a gift for camp. And they hand back, and there is a box with a brand new Bible in it. Now, I can't see all of the Bible at the time, but this is it. It's, it's, it's seen better days. It's got its good use out of it. Um, but I am so stoked, because up to this point, I've only had kids' Bibles. And I had this one called the Kids' Adventure Bible that like, was kind of like shiny silver metallic with purple and pink, very manly and very cool. Um, and uh, my, my two older brothers at this point already have like, the cool like, fake leather Bibles like this, like a man's Bible, right? And so when they hand it back, I'm like, let's go, baby. Like, I'm a man. Like, I'm excited. It's a student Bible. I couldn't wait for all the insights into what it looked like to be a teenager um, that I knew later on as I read them were really kind of awkward and weird, uh, but they're there. But I was so excited because I was like, I got this awesome gift. And uh, I, I go to open the actual box of the Bible, and, and my eyes dart down to this area here where a name would go. And I see a name, but it's not mine. <laughs> Uh, my name is Aaron Perry, and uh, the name on here is Zach H-R-U-D. Um, and so I tried to be like kind and not be a turd in the moment, but I was like, guys, this is so great. I think there must have been a little mix-up at the Christian bookstore. It says Zach, and they're like, no, we know. We got it for such a steal. It was like 70% off. Which, what like a super Midwestern thing to say, right? Like anyone ever, anyone else have that thing where like someone's like, I love your shoes. Like, you wouldn't believe the Kohl's cash that I had to use on these. Like we brag about how much we got it off. And again, when my parents did that, um, by the way, like Pastor Cole likes to tease me that I'm kind of cheap like this. So this is stuff that I probably would do to my kids. But in that moment, they were not doing this out of anything to make me feel lesser. They did so many awesome things and still do to make me feel special and loved and remind me that they're proud of me. 
But in that moment, when I got this Bible, I'm not going to lie, there's a part of me that just felt like, here's the evidence of the lies I believe. Um, I'm not worthy of something that actually is like full price and good. Like I am, at this point, you see, I, I had these two older brothers, I still do, I guess, um, named Matt and JJ, and um, they're kind of my childhood nemesises, and uh, especially JJ. And the, the, the thing about it that I just like kind of hated is they um, were taller and bigger and stronger and generally like did better at stuff. And I, I sort of felt like I was sort of like the wish version of the Perry family, um, where things were just slightly off. They were the off brands, right? Um, and so when I got this, this already just like added fire to, add gas to a fire that was already burning inside of me of insecurity and feeling as if maybe I am not good enough. Every single one of us living in this world deals with the reality that we're invited to believe lies about ourselves, lies about our worth, lies about our values, lies about what others think about us. Lies what we think God thinks about us. Last week, uh, we, we continued in a series we're in right now um, called Who Told You That? And we've been talking about this idea of lies. And, and kind of the, the genesis of this series comes from the book of Genesis. And uh, it, it comes from this, 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 this part of, uh, of the larger creation narrative where um, Adam and Eve, the first people, uh, are told not to eat fruit from this certain tree. And they are deceived by the enemy, Satan. And, and, and when they eat the apple that opens their eyes and allows them to begin to experience sin and shame, when God comes to them, if you remember the story, he comes to them and he says, who told you that you were naked? Who told you this lie? And in this series, what we've been trying to do is talk about this reality that all the lies that we believe are nothing that God has ever said to us. None of God's actions indicate that. That ultimately, all of them stem back to the father of lies, the enemy, Satan. And we've talked, last week we talked about this idea that sometimes we believe lies about God. And in particular, one of the most dangerous things about that is this, is that what we believe about God will ultimately determine what we think about ourselves. Whether we believe in God, whether we believe he is good and just and mighty, whether we think he is loving and kind, whether we think he's one who's just sitting up there with like a, like a ticker on like, you messed up again, you messed up again, whether we think he's given us little brownie points, like good job, good job, what we think about God will ultimately determine how we view ourselves and others, which is what we're going to talk about next week. Um, this morning, I, I want to talk in particular about two kind of primary lies and categories of lies that we tend to believe about ourselves. And, and they're kind of feeling like, they might feel a little bit like they are polar opposites in some ways. And what I want to do this morning is I want to share both of them up front, and then I, I want to deal with the, 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 the second one first. And, and here are the two big lies. The first one is just this, you are not good enough. Every single person at some point in their life will deal with this. Or, or maybe put it, away, put it in a different way, you are not fill in the blank enough. You're not smart enough, tall enough, pretty enough, skinny enough. You are not successful enough. You are not safe enough. Every single one of us has some sort of thing, oftentimes maybe going back to our childhood, 
that we have either moments with a loved one, a, a coach, a mentor, a person, a friend, who something happened and at some point it gave a little bit of a foothold for the enemy to, to, to constantly remind us, you are not fill in the blank enough. And it ultimately goes back to this feeling of, of our worth and our value and are we good enough, which, spoiler alert, we're going to get to that later, you are. You are precious to God. He created you in his image with value and worth and dignity, and he so, so desires for you to see all that he created you to be and to really experience that. You were made to be good. You were made for love. You were made by love. That is so true. But here's the second lie that oftentimes we're invited to believe. You are perfect the way you are, and you do not need to change. Now, these feel very like, how do these both work, right? So wait, I, I am special, I am good, but also I am not perfect, and I need to change? What in the, how do we deal with this? Let's talk about that. Now, again, if we keep in mind that we were created by a creator, and when he finished creating us, he said, it was good, we are good. We have to remember that we are living in the casualties, in the repercussions over and over and over again of living in a broken, fallen, sinful world. If you don't think that we are, have a natural inclination towards selfishness and sin, spend time with a young child. If you would like to babysit, I have too. There's a tendency towards self-centeredness, towards thinking about oneself way, way, way too much. This, this lie here that you are perfect the way you are and you do not need to change is one that preys off of a truth, right? A truth that you are made so good, full of so much worth and value and dignity, that why would you need to change at all? And yet, to be honest, sometimes we forget that because of the sinful patterns of the world that has been handed to us, because of the shame that has been heaped upon us that makes us hide things, hide things from others, hide things from God, that ultimately we are not perfect exactly the way we are. God loves us exactly where we are, but he also loves us far too much to leave us that way. And one of the most freeing but also offensive things about the gospel is just this— Every single one of us has to change. To stay where we currently are is not to stay at where God created us, intended us to be. And throughout Scripture, we see this backed up over and over again. In Romans chapter 3, we're reminded that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person. There is no perfect person in the world other than obviously Jesus. He kind of has his own thing that he's going for him. But everyone else... Listen, your little child who you love, your grandchild, even though you probably spoil them like my parents spoil my grand or my kids, they're not perfect, right? Every single one of us have sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. On our own, we cannot make it, which is the whole reason why we need Jesus. But here's the thing. The sin that we enter into is destructive patterns. To look at someone and say, hey, you don't need to change a thing. You're doing great is an invitation for them to continue the cycle of brokenness and destruction of not only their actual like physical life here and now, but their eternity for tomorrow. Every single one of us has to make peace with the reality that if we want to follow Jesus, things have to change. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, we learn that since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature and be created like God, truly righteous and holy. There's this call to this reality that there is an old way to our life. You know, I I meet people sometimes who they love the idea of Jesus far more than they actually like the reality of following Jesus, which is true of me too. Because it's sort of like the idea of, how many love the idea of being in shape, you know, being pretty fit? I love the idea of having abs, even though I'm hairy and I don't think God created men who are hairy to have abs. It's a different story. I love the idea behind it. I do not like the concepts of what I actually have to do to achieve that. I have to eat healthy? Mm Mm-mm. Exercise often? Come on, no thanks. But in the same way, I meet a lot of people who, they love the concept of like, hey, Jesus, you sound great. I see pictures of you holding sheep and kind of nuzzling them. You seem so kind and wonderful. I would love to be friends but I don't really want you to be my savior. Because honestly, if you're my savior and you're my Lord, then I I have to change and I have to follow under your allegiance and your way of life. So many of us like desire the good parts of Jesus without any of the change. And the hard reality is it doesn't work that way. Like there's not a single person Um, that we can meet who can say, yeah, one day I heard about Jesus and I started following him. Nothing in my life has changed, but I got Jesus now. Every single one of us, we, we have to wrestle with the reality that if we believe we're following Jesus, there has to be kind of this question, this reflection on, has anything in my life changed since I have believed I've began to chosen to follow Jesus? And, and, if, and if the answer to that question is no, nothing's really changed, then you are not following Jesus. You're following someone who might look like him, and you're following someone who maybe makes you feel good, but you're not following Jesus. Jesus invites us to follow him by actually taking off the things that hindered us and and, and made us feel a certain way. Now, again, not to get weird, but in the garden, like, we were never supposed to have to put on the clothes. I'm not do you, no one quote me on this. No cutting a, a sermon clip online later. I'm not saying that like, yes, we're all supposed to be still naked. But, kind of. We were never supposed to feel shame. Shame is a result of sin. If sin never enters in this world, we have nothing to hide. But we live in a world where there is sin. And where spiritually, not physically, We need to take off the things that we're covering up. And we need to allow God to work in our lives and give us the the, the permission and the experience to know like we can truly be free and just out there with him.
In Colossians chapter 3, Paul wrote these words. He says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Again, he's given this image that we have to set our eyes somewhere. If we don't, we are destined to kind of stray and drift. We have to set your course to where we're wanting to go. Set your your mind on things above, on Christ. He goes on, he says, For you died and your life is now hidden With Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. And this is where he goes on, and this is the important context for us about change. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all things as these rage, anger, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old way, old self with its practices, and you have put on a new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Thank goodness, obviously, we're killing all of those, right? I don't know about you. None of those I deal with at all. Praise God, right? Amen? No? No, every single one of us have these things that we have to continually come to God to help us change, to to, to stay away from. But again, to say you are perfect just the way you are, let's be honest. Many of us, if, if, if I went back to who I was before Christ, I'm incredibly selfish, incredibly insecure. I am not a very gracious person to others. Like, I, you can't say, like, you are perfect the way you are. We all need a sense of refinement and goodness. Now, every single one of us were created perfectly. Our original factory default setting, right? You ever had to do that on, like, a phone or something? You go back to the factory default setting. Every single one of us were created perfectly by our Heavenly Father, by our Creator. But again, every single one of us, the cost of living in this world, we're a little messed up. We need some help. We need change. We need hope. Just a couple more things Jesus says about this. Jesus says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Now again, this is a verse that speaks to the day and age that we live in, where we are invited to follow our pleasures and our desires. Because honestly, here's the thing. Oftentimes the things that we desire most are really kind of like vices to some of the things that we struggle with the most. And oftentimes the world kind of invites us to double down, to be like maybe if we celebrate the thing that is the sin, it'll be like, yes, it's good. And like the celebration, the leaning into it more does not redeem it. Every single one of us, I don't care what your struggle is, and everyone has different struggles, every single one of us is going to have to crucify the flesh, the desires, the sin, the shame, put on the newness of God. Every single one of us. Which is this beautiful thing that we're all in this together. But it's also really hard. And the last thing I'll say that Jesus said about this, he says this, I tell you the truth, Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. 
If you do not think that, if you think you are above changing and essentially trusting God like, like, a, like a child would trust their father and mother, you will never find yourself in the kingdom of God. And that's not like a exclusive, like, sorry, loser, you can't get in. Every single one of us is invited, but only some of us will choose. God isn't exclusive in his love. He's actually like kind of lavishly ridiculous that he sent an invitation to everybody. And the invitation is there continually for everyone. But it's the question mark of who will actually choose to, to realize that I gotta make a change. And so this lie that you are perfect just the way you are, it's not true. Every single one of us needs to change if we want to follow Jesus. No matter your background, your family of origin, your, your, all of those things. And that's bad news, but it's also good news. Because one of the cool things is that the invitation is that Jesus will help every single one of us change if we are willing. All right, let's go back to this other lie. This other lie where you're like, well, wait a second. You just like kind of beat us down. Like, what? We're not supposed to be special, right? No, here's the thing. You are. Like, that's the weird part too, right? Like, we do need to change, but also in the midst of that, we are so valuable and loved regardless of that. So let's tackle this, this lie, right? You are not a, you're not good enough. Or you are not fill in the blank enough. Let's talk about this. The Bible has tons to say about this, and we're not going to spend as much time in it because I think this is one that conceptually we all know. But oftentimes it might kind of stay here and never sink in here. I know that's true of my story. But in the Psalms, we, we, we know that if we go back to just this like beginning, like God is our creator, which, which in and of itself makes every single person that you've ever met in the entire world a literal masterpiece, one-of-a-kind work of art by the God of all the universe. The person who cut you off the other day in traffic that you may have given a certain hand signal that you probably shouldn't have. The annoying kid who used to bully you in middle school. Uh, the neighbor who you just, for the love of God, wish they would mow their lawn. Every single person was made with that. In the Psalms, we're reminded this, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You saw my unformed, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the day, all my days ordained for me were written in the book before one of them came to be. Before you were a thought in the mind of anyone here on earth, God had already created you. He knew you. And he, he, like, he got done. And even though you might be like, well, I kind of wish you would have shaved off a love handle here, or I wish my mustache was darker. Maybe that's just me. Um, he looked at you and said, like, that's perfect. That's exactly what I meant to do, what I wanted to do. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. You were created with worth and value and dignity and love. And so much of your, your worth and your value and your dignity comes from nothing that you could ever do, nothing you could ever deserve. It comes sheerly from the fact that God created you. Think about artwork for a minute. Most artwork that has a sense of value to it has little to do with what the actual materials are involved in the artwork or what the subject matter is, right? It oftentimes has to do with who the creator was. It is why if you find some weird squiggly marks that, that 
um, Pablo Picasso made, it's worth a lot of money. Not even if it's that cool. I'm not, if any, there are any big Pablo fans out here, don't fight me afterwards. But like the value comes from the creator. And in the same way, that is where ultimately our value comes from, which is why, by the way, when we are invited to believe lies about ourselves, there's so much of us that has to like push it back to be like, what are you talking about? What do you mean I'm not enough? Are you kidding me? I am a stinking work of art by the God of all the universe. I am one of a kind. I am a masterpiece. Jesus talks a lot about this, this reality of, of, of the the value that God, our Father, sees in us. He, he says this, he, he's teaching once, and he says, what is the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And he says this, the very hairs on your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Isn't that wild to think about? Something as small as like, which again, I get it. Some of us, maybe it could it wouldn't take as much time to count the hairs on our head. Um, but we get the point, right? The fact that like, this is such a huge number. We, we, we know that like, he knows every detail about us. Nothing was, was by accident. Everything had purpose. In, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches about this idea of not worrying. He talks about the lilies of the field. And he's like, look how beautiful these are. Like, these look better than Solomon, who was this, this, this great king who was the wealthiest man ever. And uh, like, he, like his outfits that he had don't hold a candle to how beautiful these flowers are. And he talks about the birds of the air, and he's like, they don't have to like worry about all these things. Their heavenly father takes care of them. And if he takes care of all of these things, like flowers and birds that are pretty insignificant, won't he take care of you and care about you even more? We oftentimes are invited to believe that God doesn't care about us. The big lie I believed oftentimes growing up was uh, God began creating my brothers, and then when he got to the end, the skin double is holy water. And when he got to the end, it sort of felt like maybe he just kind of had like the scraps left over to figure something out. And I'm sure many of you, that's your story too. There's someone, who, there's someone who is prettier, someone who is stronger, someone who is smarter, someone who you felt like the person that you wanted um, uh, affirmation or attention from got it more than you. And yet, when we're really honest, if we, if like we remember back, like we were created in his image. Like when we think about the, the creation story, God created so many things, and if we're honest, like, like creating the stars in the sky is slightly more important more impressive than like me. I'm going to be honest, right? Like there's part of me that's like, it's kind of, it's a little more impressive. Yet what's crazy about it is when he created us, he, he in the same way said it is good. And in, in, in a different way, nothing else in creation was created in his image. Nothing else did he care enough about to be like, ooh, I want this to look like me. I want this to reflect me. Like we are the finality. We are the thing that God's like, there, I did it. All these other things are great, they're important, but none of them hold a candle. When he is hanging out, he doesn't have friends like that, but like if he was hanging out, there are other gods and he's hanging out with his friends, like he would be flipping through like, you gotta see this picture of Hunter. I agree, she's cute. That's my wife, by the way. Um, but 
Like, that would be the thing. He would be like the grandparent that is doting over. Like, let's be honest. Grandparents, I love you. You love to show off them pictures on Facebook of your grandbabies, right? Whether they're cute or not, it doesn't matter. You are putting them out there. But that is the way that God sees us, right? He sees every single one of us. He's like, that is my person who I love. That is my child. That is my kid. And they're special. There's a book that maybe some of you guys have read before by a guy named um, Max Lucado. And it, it, it perfectly illustrates um, what I'm trying to get at. Um, anyone ever read this book before? Anyone have this? If you don't have this, put it on the Christmas. I'm not getting any. Max, if you're watching, um, give me some money back for this. But a great book to get for a kid or a grandkid. It's a really neat story. So uh, Max Lucado is a Christian author, a pastor. He's written lots of books. The story goes that he um, had a book deal where he said that he would write seven children's books, and he thought he already had written them all. And the publisher came back and was like, hey, I need one more book. You have a week. And so he basically locked himself in a room, just prayed, and this story came out. And he said it's his favorite book that he has ever written. And it's interesting because it says nothing about Jesus or God explicitly, but the gospel is perfectly represented in it. So essentially, this story is about this land full of wooden people called Wemacks. And these Wemacks, what they do is they live in this sort of village area, and uh, they have stickers. And uh, they have stickers that are stars and that are dots. And what they do is they go around to each other, and on the people, the, the wooden people that they see that they feel like look beautiful or have a special gift or talent, they give them a star and they put it on them so everyone can proudly see it displayed on them. But then they also see people who they feel like, you know, maybe are a little bit dingy, maybe make mistakes, maybe aren't, aren't, aren't in their eyes the best, and they give them dots. And all around this town, People walk around seeing displayed some people who seem to have just all stars and some people who seem to have all dots and some people who, who uh, seem to have some sort of mixture. And as you can imagine, when someone gets a star, they feel wonderful for a moment. And when someone gets a dot, they feel terrible. One day, there is a, uh, a, a, um, a wooden uh, character whose name is Pancello, and he primarily has all dots on him. And he runs into this girl named Lucia, and she has none on her. And he is like amazed because he has never ran into someone who doesn't have any of these stickers on them. And so he begins to ask her, how do you not have any of these? And she begins to tell him about how he needs to go see this woodmaker, their, their creators named Eli. And he'll explain everything. And the story is really short, but essentially what happens is Pancello goes to the creator, whose name is Eli in this book. And Eli tells him, he says, you, you see, the thing is, uh, all of you, like, creations here, you, you give each other these stickers, and they only have value or effect if you care about them. He said, but ultimately, you shouldn't care what they say. You should care what I say, because I'm your creator, and I made you perfectly the way you are on purpose. And his invitation to him is he said, what I want you to do is every day come back to me. And I'll help take the stickers off you. To where you'll realize that it doesn't matter if someone gives you a star. That doesn't, that doesn't make you valuable or worth, worthy. And if someone gives you a dot, 
that doesn't make you less than or not. You should only care about what I say about you. And it's this beautiful representation of the gospel. By the way, you're probably going to cry while you're reading it. Your kids are going to be like, what's going on? That didn't happen to me. But it's this beautiful imitation of the gospel, right? We live in a world where we are invited all the time to really care about and believe what others say about us. And at the end of the day, all that really matters is what God says about us. All that really matters is what our, what our creator believes about us. And, and, and if you don't know this, and maybe you just need to hear it again, is God doesn't make mistakes. He only makes masterpieces. There's nothing about you. Sure, there's changes that need to happen in your life. But there's so much about who you are that the enemy tries to feed into your insecurities that God says, what are you talking about? And he looks at us and he again asks the question, who told you that? Because I didn't. Who told you you weren't beautiful? Because I think you are the most beautiful creation I've ever created. Who told you that you are not smart enough? I created you with the mind that I gave you. He looks at us and says, listen, the enemy might have told you this, but I did not. Listen to what I have to say. Don't allow the stickers, the good ones or the bad ones, to stick. Because at the end of the day, one of the best ways to not believe the lies is, is to remember the truth. And the truth is, every single one of us, we are God's children, created in his image with worth and value and dignity. We are created in love for love. And God's great desire is to be in relationship for us. And if you have a hard time believing that, look at the entire story of Scripture. It is a love story of a God who is constantly chasing after his children, who continually mess up, who continually believe lies and tell lies and live lies. And he continues to pursue them. Because as we said at the forefront of this series, the antidote to a lie is the truth. And God constantly has been pursuing us with the truth that we are loved, that we are worthy, and that he desires relationship with us. So would you know that you don't need to worry about what others think or say about you, that you are not your greatest success or your greatest failure, that you are not the moment where you had the most epic failure or your biggest regrets, and you're not the moment where you felt the most like you were the stuff. You are loved exactly for who you are because of whose you are. You are his child. And his great desire is for you to make changes with him so you can be exactly who he created you to be. And as we live out who God created us to be, it's really going to help us to be able to invite others into that, which we're going to talk about next week. I'm going to invite the praise team back up because they're going to sing one last song. Uh, but as they're coming, I, my big invitation to you this morning is just to know that to God, um, you are worth it. You might not feel it, and of course you need to change, but to God, you were worth it. Like, you were worth sending Jesus to the cross to do it. Funny last story, and then I promise I will be done. So this week that I uh, got this Bible handed back to me, and it's just swirling in my mind and my heart about all the lies I was believing about myself, about how I wasn't good, how I wasn't there. And, and towards the end of the week at this camp, there was, there was no scripture I remember, there was no song, there was no like significant moment of like, 
ah, this is like, I get it now. There was no logical thing, but it was during that week that for the first time ever, for whatever reason, other than just God's sheer kindness and maybe my eyes and ears and heart being opened, uh, I felt the presence of God and the love of Jesus in a profound way. In the same way that Pancello began to realize that the stickers didn't matter, it was a big turning point for me. And one of the awesome things is every single one of us could have that turning point too. Every single one of us could have that encounter with Jesus where everything changes. And of course, it's going to be a process, and of course, we're going to continue to fail, and of course, we are not going to get it right away. But the cool thing is every day we get the chance to go back to our Creator, to be reminded of who we are and whose we are, to remember that we do need to change, but to remember that when we change, we get closer to our Creator and who He created us to be. Would you guys stand, and we're going to pray, and and we're going to sing one last song. And, and as we're doing so, uh, as we are, are singing, would this be your invitation to just listen to um, uh, how and what God may be speaking to you? Uh, and would it be the invitation for us to truly look at our creator? Because when we look at our creator in all his goodness, it will help us reflect back, understanding best who we are. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we are so grateful for the fact that we do not have to, um, we don't have to listen to the the praise or the criticism of others. Uh, We don't have to believe the lies that we oftentimes have been told about ourselves or we believe about ourselves. Uh, That we can live out your truth, that we are your children, created with worth, value, and love. But also, God, we don't have to believe the lie that the world sometimes tells us that we don't need to change and we can just stay where we are. You love us far too much to leave us there. You love us far too much to allow us to continue destructive patterns that isn't God's best. So, Father, this morning, I pray that you would give us the courage to surrender to you, to trust you, and to just hear your still, small voice that whispers to us how loved we are, that you're proud of us, and that you desire nothing more than just to open our eyes, to see who you see, and to live out who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.